Hey, and thanks for tuning in. At Northgate, we're passionate about helping people become who God purposed them to be. We hope that this message encourages and blesses you today. Stay tuned after for more ways to connect. Right. Good morning. It's good to see you uh, today. Uh, happy after Easter weekend uh, to you. If we haven't met, my name is Steve Perkins. I am one of the pastors. I hope you had a good Easter. We certainly did here at Northgate. And we had about uh, 2,300 people between Good Friday and Easter Sunday walk through our doors and about 40 people, mostly adults, indicated they wanted to start a relationship with Christ last weekend. And uh, of course, we never know what uh, is happening in that moment, but we do know the Holy Spirit is doing something in that moment. So join me in praying over these next days for those uh, who have made those commitments to follow Christ. My Easter, personally, was sort of a mixed bag. I had a really fun weekend. But then on Tuesday... I got a hernia repair, and uh, that was my reward for my hard work last weekend. Some of you knew about it. Thank you for praying. I'm told it was a textbook surgery, but it still really hurts, and that's why I'm sitting today, and uh, I, hope, uh, I hope that's all right with you. I wanted to wear sweats, but... This will do. I really wanted to be here today because we are starting a new series. We're calling it I'm Done. Felt that way earlier this week. <laughs> but we're, we're going to be talking about things that we all need to be done with. Um, things that we should all stop doing if we know what's good for us. And when I say that, maybe your head immediately goes to a place of shame, you know. But that's not my goal. My goal isn't to shame you. It's not going to be, stop it. You know, stop doing that. I sometimes say things like that. But I'm going to try not to say things like that during this series. My intent is to empower you. And I think you'll find this series a very relatable one, a challenging series, because we all do these things, all right? We all do these things. And most of us don't want to do these things, but we feel powerless when we do these things. And what are these things that I'm talking about? Well, making excuses, living in fear. Complaining, comparing. And have you ever done this one? Being defensive. That's where I want to start today. And so let me just ask right out of the chute Are you, yes, you, a defensive person? Someone last night sitting in the front row said, yes, <laughs> right away. <laughs> I thought, good for you. 
Because sometimes that can feel like a defensive question. And, 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 and we, we say, I mean, no, I, I'm not defense. Maybe the person I'm married to is defense. But I'm, I, I mean, you, know, you have no idea what you're talking about, Steve. Okay, but just slow down mentally, cognitively. Are you a defensive person? We'd all like to say we're not defensive. But the truth is, when someone offends us, many days, like it or not, that's our intuitive response. We go on the defense. I'll share lots of stories today. I remember someone 10 years ago offending me. He asked innocently enough in a very kind conversation. I didn't see the offense coming. He said, what are you, Steve, like 40, 45 years old? <laughs> this was 10 years ago. I was like 30, and when you're 30, 40 is ancient, you know? <laughs> I don't feel that way as strongly today, but I got defensive. I mean, what do you mean, am I 40 years old? And he had his reasons why he thought that. Now, in my defense, uh, another guy asked me the other day if I was in my late 20s. It's a true story. I was wearing sunglasses and a hat, but... <laughs> I wasn't, actually. But I had a very different response to that question. I didn't get defensive. No, I got down on one knee and proposed. <laughs> think about Jesus. Jesus, I think it's safe to say, was the least defensive person who ever lived. He never got defensive, ever. And he taught about not being defensive and even to this day, we're puzzled and confused by what he had to say. In particular, what he had to say in his famous Sermon on the Mount, which, uh, by the way, I think we're going to study this fall in its entirety, probably starting in October, 90% there. Arguably the best message ever given in the history of the world shaped Western society as we know it. But Matthew chapter 5, part of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus speaking. Jesus speak to us now as we read these words. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, Turn to them the other cheek also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. I don't know how many times I've read this. still rubs me the wrong way. Are you serious? If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Speaking of which, I need a loan. Anyone? Someone last night, again, they were very chatty last night. Someone asked, how much? <laughs> You've heard that it was said. You know, that's some radical stuff. Someone slaps you on one cheek, and instead of fighting back, instead of getting defensive and hitting back, which is our intuitive response, apart from the Holy Spirit, you turn to him the other cheek. And by the way, it's not the proverbial other cheek. I mean, that's how people explain that away, you know? Well, it's this cheek. 
<laughs> Are you a defensive person? I, I, I got this mentor. His name is Paul. You've heard me talk about him. Everyone needs a mentor. Everyone. And I have one of the very best. But he once said to me, just so you know, Steve, you can't offend me. Now, when most people say that, to be honest, it's kind of annoying, I think, really. Seriously. I can't offend you. I mean, it's annoying because oftentimes it's just not true when they say it. And if it is true, it's because the person saying it is so offensive himself that he never notices when other people are offending him. Because he just operates in offense. But not my mentor, not Paul, no. He somehow speaks the truth in love. He's not the least bit offensive. And at the same time, like I said, he is someone who is not easily offended. And the longer I've known him, the more I've learned to love that about him. Having spent a number of years under his leadership, I've got to say his attitude, his lack of defensiveness, finally, is starting to rub off on me. And that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about why each one of us, why we need to be done being defensive. I'm done being defensive. And as I'm preaching, I want you to know I haven't arrived yet, okay? I am pretty good at church. I'm pretty good in professional settings. I don't have to be in those settings as long. I am not as good at home. My family will tell you. But I think about my story and how I've grown. As a young man, i got to say, I was what you might call an easily offended person. Like a lot of people are easily offended. We live in a, an easily offended society. And if someone said something to me I didn't like, I got defensive. And the height of this for me was during my first year as a pastor, an intern pastor, a student pastor. I wasn't yet a pastor. I was studying to be a pastor, but sort of getting to pretend to be a pastor in a church. And I was sort of an unconventional preacher, trapped in a very conventional church, small town, Midwest, Minnesota. And while a lot of people loved me, I hope it's okay to say that, because a lot of people did love me. For some, I was a breath of fresh air. At the same time, a lot of people didn't. And I remember one <clears throat> particular message where I just sort of let it fly. Unfortunately, I, 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 I chalked this up to youth. It was only the second message I had ever given at that church. So, you know, your second message is not the message where you just let it fly. But I didn't know any better, and I did. And I, I, I preached with all my heart. But while everybody loved my first message, okay, I just talked about my second message, while everybody loved my first message, and they did, I mean, they even clapped at the end of my first message, and that had never happened before in the 100-year history of this conventional church. I mean, people loved me after that first message, while everyone loved my first message, about half the church absolutely hated my second. If they could have booed, they would have. But that would have been far too expressive <laughs> for this church. 
Now, some people liked it, including my wife, by the way. She was here last night, only she wasn't my wife at the time. I mean, she was last night, but she wasn't. All those years ago, I hadn't even met her yet, but she was home visiting her parents, and I preached this infamous second message. People still talk about it to this day. She had never heard anything like that from her church's pulpit before, and she was instantaneously smitten. (laughs) Or at least that's how I remember it. Well, after I preached that second message, which resulted in a very happy marriage, All hell broke loose in the church. I I, I got called into all three pastors' offices, lectured. The church council raked me over the coals. And I got offended to the point I wanted to quit. Which, again, in retrospect, is ridiculous because it was a 12-month commitment. I mean, I was leaving at the end of 12 months no matter what. So I was that offended. And it's fair to say I'm ashamed, again, to admit that I spent the majority of the next year nursing that wound. And my poor wife, I asked her out, obviously, uh, but I'm sure she was sorry I had asked her out because I was offended for so long, for the next 12 months, it's all I could talk about. Can you believe what they did to me? Isn't that offensive? I didn't know what Jesus knows. I didn't understand what Solomon understands in the Old Testament, Proverbs 17. Whoever, the third king of Israel, Solomon, whoever would foster love covers over an offense. But whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. As a young pastor, I did not know how to cover over an offense. I only knew how to get defensive. Let's talk about covering for a minute. I think of the, the Jewish holiday Yom Kippur. I think it wrapped up yesterday. And there was that terrible shooting in San Diego at a synagogue, just as there were all these deaths at churches around the world on Easter Sunday. But Yom Kippur, it's, it's Hebrew for the Day of uh, Atonement. I'm sorry, the Passover just wrapped up um, yesterday. Not Yom Kippur, that's another holiday. But Yom Kippur is called the Day of Atonement, but it literally means the Day of Covering. And we've talked about this maybe even a few weeks ago. An animal is sacrificed, not any longer, but back in first century days and before that. An animal is sacrificed for the sins of a family. So an innocent animal takes on a family's guilt. It, it covers it. Well, fast forward to the New Testament, what we celebrated last weekend, where Jesus is the Lamb of God, and he covers us with his blood. So sin exposes, and blood covers. Whoever would foster love, Solomon writes, covers over an offense. And so as Christ followers, if we want to be like Jesus... That's what we've got to do, too. We've got to cover over offense after offense after offense. Instead of getting offended, which is easy to do, we've got to learn to live above offense. That's how we build healthy relationships. That's how we follow Jesus. We pray it 
at least once a month in this church, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Which means we don't let offensive things stick. We cover them. And then notice the second half of that verse, whoever would foster love covers over an offense. That's the first half. Here's the second half. But whoever repeats the matter, this is what we shouldn't do, whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. And that is always, always, always the temptation to repeat the matter. Always. Someone offends me, and I can't wait to tell someone about it. You know what I mean. I have a pastor friend, he told me the other day, it was really just so funny. He, he told me the other day about someone um, who left his church, someone who I kind of know, used to know, someone who met the Lord here, actually. And on, on, on the way out, she said to this pastor friend of mine, I love this church and I love the people and you're a great pastor, but I get nothing out of the worship here or your messages. So, sayonara. But otherwise, you're a great pastor. <laughs> Now, it's not funny, and I heard that, and I said, that's so offensive, but the reason he told me is because once upon a time, she said the same thing to me. I mean, someone who met the Lord here. She said, I love this church, and I love the people, and you're a great pastor, but Steve, I get nothing out of the worship here or your messages. And so the irony was too good to resist sitting there in Chipotle, sharing this war story with my pastor friend. And boy, did we laugh. And in many ways, he, he, he did the right thing, sort of. He sort of did the right thing. He rose above the offense in the moment. And they train you to do this in pastor school. I understand you're supposed to grin and bear it and smile and say, God bless you. And even though you just stabbed me in the heart. The only problem, he complained to me about it later. <laughs> Just as I had complained to him, that's why he told me, because he knew the same thing had been said to me. A few points to ponder. One, being defensive separates friends. When I shared that story with my pastor friend, who was now pastoring this woman, that didn't help his relationship with her, did it? And when he shared that with me, should I have a relationship with her someday, that didn't help our relationship. Being defensive separates friends. Let me tell you a fictional story about that. Any Sesame Street fans here? <laughs> yeah, I mean... I was more of a Mr. Rogers guy. So let me tell you a story using uh, fictitious Sesame Street characters. I'm using their names to protect the guilty, okay? So Oscar the Grouch, uh, you know him. I, I want to I show you how this plays out, okay? Oscar the Grouch, as usual, down in the dumps. <clears throat> the only thing that makes him happy, digging through the garbage. And lucky him, not too far away down that beautiful Sesame Street brownstone boulevard, they've opened a new dump. And in a rare moment of levity and generosity, 
Oscar asks the cookie monster to go with him. Let's go garbage collecting together. The only problem, Oscar forgets. He, he doesn't call the cookie monster like he said he would call the cookie monster, which hurts cookie monster. Oscar the Grouch enjoys himself thoroughly at the dump that same afternoon, picking through garbage, finding treasures, while Cookie Monster sits at home by himself and wonders why Oscar didn't call him when he said he would call him. You've heard the expression, don't cry over spilt milk, while Cookie Monster cries all day and night over his cookies and his milk. The next morning, after a restless night, Cookie Monster, instead of calling Oscar, calls up Big Bird, introduction of a new character, a character who has nothing to do with the story. Cookie Monster calls up Big Bird and tells Big Bird how Oscar the Grouch said he would invite him to go garbage collecting, but then didn't. Big Bird asks Cookie Monster if he thought that Oscar the Grouch had purposefully, purposely not called him. And at first Cookie Monster says no, but then he begins to think, he begins to wonder if Oscar didn't really want him to come along in the first place because Elmo was driving and Elmo doesn't like Cookie Monster. It's a monster thing. So together Cookie Monster and Big Bird come to a conclusion and they construct a narrative tight case against Oscar the Grouch, Cookie Monster, having shared his anxiety, having shared his defensive spirit, has now also ruffled Big Bird's feathers, and Big Bird says, Cookie Monster, Oscar didn't call you because Oscar didn't really want you to come to the dump with him. Now, obviously, in fact, that cannot be disputed, Oscar the Grouch did not call Cookie Monster, like he said he would call Cookie Monster, but from Cookie Monster's perspective, and now Big Bird's, Oscar had a deliberate memory lapse, and Cookie Monster in his mind now is the righteous one, whereas Oscar the Grouch is the unrighteous one, and everyone who hears this story, Snuffleupagus, Bert and Ernie, even Rosita, if you can believe, I mean, Rosita's so nice. They all believe Cookie Monster's version of events and pass judgment on poor old Oscar, and it's not too hard to do so because nobody really likes Oscar anyway. He's a grouch. Now, Cookie Monster early on had a choice to make, didn't he? One, cover the offense. That is, give Oscar the grouch the benefit of the doubt. He really did forget. He just forgot. And besides, Cookie Monster, you could have called Oscar when he didn't call you, or two, and this is what we mostly do, most often. Share the hurt with another friend. Right? Share the hurt. Tell the world, tell anyone who will listen, tell Big Bird and the rest of the gang that Oscar did not do what he said he would do, not only endangering Oscar's relationship with Cookie Monster, but everybody else's relationship with Cookie Monster. My mentor, he, he, he writes, he's not on Sesame Street. The low road of humility means forgiving the offense. 
The low road of humility means forgiving the offense, not assuming the worst. Whereas the high road of pride, which is how we like to operate most days, the high road of pride means treating a wound as something worth attending to. Humility says, I forgive you. Pride says, I shouldn't have to suffer at your expense. So you see, back to Sesame Street, because Cookie Monster takes the prideful road, not only is he guilty of getting defensive, but now so is Big Bird and Snuffleupagus and Bird and Ernie and even Rosita. They are all accomplices. And if they truly cared about Cookie Monster, they would have encouraged him to talk to Oscar directly. They would have said something like, I don't think Oscar meant anything by it. Maybe you should go and sit down with him. But misery loves company. And the flesh, our sinful nature, loves taking up someone else's complaint. That's why guys complain to their buddies about their wives. My wife's this. My wife's that. And the guys agree. Yeah, she's terrible, the old ball and chain. Or women, you know, they're at the wine bar sharing a chicken satay. <laughs> All the time, groaning about their husbands. And the, the, the women friends, instead of being help, helpful, say, you're right. Mm. You shouldn't have to put up with that. Leave the bum. Why not be defensive? Because being defensive separates friends. And if someone offends you, they have the ability to offend you because you care what that person thinks and you want to be in relationship with that person. And so why wreck that relationship by sharing the offense? Some food for thought. Next point, being defensive makes us feel worse, not better. Now we think it's going to make us feel better, always we think it, and that's why we do it, but it doesn't make us feel Better. The other day I was with some friends and I was complaining about something someone had done to me and they were saying all the right things from my perspective. And that's why I told them, because I knew they would say all the right things from my perspective. And of course the story was carefully crafted to ensure the right outcome. I said, yeah man, they said, I'm sorry, that person was out of line. If that happened to me, I would be angry too. And I had to confess, it felt really good in the moment, as they were affirming me. But an hour later, after the Holy Spirit regained access to my soul, (laughs) I didn't feel the same. Instead of feeling better, I actually felt worse. So the next time I saw my friends, I I said to them, I'm sorry, what for, they asked. I said, I'm sorry I ran down that person in front of you when I shouldn't have. And one of them said to me, he said, don't worry about that, Steve. And and this is how we've been trained. This is what we're told we should do as good friends. And these friends, by the way, are all professionals. They're clergymen like like me. And, and, And one of them said, don't be sorry. This is a safe place. You can say whatever you want to say here without any repercussions whatsoever. But I said, I know that. I know that. 
And thank you for saying that to me, but there's a difference between being honest and being holy. And the other day, I was very honest with you. I was brutally honest, but I wasn't holy. And besides, it didn't make me feel better anyway. It made me feel worse. Instead of helping me tear down that wall separating me from my enemy, my friends helped me build it even higher. An attitude of defensiveness, someone on our staff said it this way a couple weeks ago, an attitude of defensiveness is like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. And then we bring our friends in on this too, right? We, I mean, somebody offends us, and then we, we need to share the offense with them. And so it's like, you know, hey, buddy, you want to get a drink? I mean, what we're really saying is you want to go drink some poison together and hope the other person, the person who isn't here, dies. This doesn't make sense. Proverbs 18, 19. Solomon continues this theme. He looks at it from a different point of view, a very familiar point of view, if we're honest. Solomon writes, a brother, we could say a sister as well, a brother wronged is more unyielding than a fortified city. Disputes are like the barred gates of a citadel. There's a reason Solomon's called the wisest man on earth. The things he has to say are really good. Being defensive makes us feel worse, not better. My third point, why not be defensive? Because being defensive most days, this is such a good point, is rooted in self-righteousness. Not God-righteousness, self-righteousness. You see, more often than not, when I'm defensive, it's not about God's righteousness. It's not about some some. Something, some wrong that's happened in the kingdom of God. It's about me. It's about my own self-righteousness. How dare you say that to me? Who do you think you are? And I forget, because I have a very short memory when it comes to my sin, I forget that that the person, that, that thing that the person just did to me, well, the truth is I have done that too. Maybe even to him. Jesus said, take the log out of your own eye before you remove the speck from your brothers. You and I cannot control other people's behaviors. We can only control our own. We're not responsible for what people do to us. We are only responsible for how we respond to them. A bad response to a bad offense, while it may feel good in the short term, and boy, it does when you land one of those zingers, it will not work in the long run. Not if we want happy relationships. Oh, but we say, he hit me first. Right? Doesn't matter if you're eight, doesn't matter if you're 80. That's what we say. But he hit me first. Sure he did. But does that mean you have to hit him back? And do you really want the measure for yourself to be an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth? Or do you want to learn with the Holy Spirit's help to be less defensive? Just so you know, Steve, you can't offend me. The older I get, the more I like it, and the more I'm realizing it's a wonderful way to live. It is. Being defensive separates friends. Being defensive makes us feel worse, not better. Being defensive is rooted in an attitude of self-righteousness. So then why do we spend so much energy being defensive? 
With God's help, we can learn to live above offense. We really can. Someone once said to me on the subject, he said, God's people are among the most easily offended people on the planet. And when he said it, guess what? I got offended. (laughs) But then I began to think about it. I thought, that's true, and I am learning that, and I am seeing that. God is changing that in me, and that's why I wanted to talk about it today, because I don't get defensive like I used to here and there, and I, I, you know, of course. And maybe you're saying, hey, I just had a defensive interaction with you yesterday. Here and there. But not like I used to. I'm growing up. And when someone comes to me and says, can you believe what that person said to me? I am learning not to get defensive with them. I try not to. I try not to say how terrible, I'm sorry, go ahead and be angry. I, oh, I know it's like pop culture and I know it's the thing that wise people are supposed to say. Go, go ahead, it's okay to get angry. I do not need anyone to give me permission to get angry. I need people to give me permission to do the opposite. Increasingly, I try to say what Jesus said. I try to, 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 to convey what Jesus said. Blessed is he who is not offended in me. Blessed, you know, that word, remember, means happy. Happy is the one who is not offended. Well, of course he's happy. If you can't offend me, then I'm not going to get unhappy when you offend me. So I think about that church. My first year as a pastor, the criticism I got, the 12 months I wasted being offended. A lot of work, a lot of energy, but at the end I had little to show for it. And it was a total waste of time. So I say it in my heart, and I do have to say it. I have to preach to myself, I am done being defensive. Don't get me wrong, people will still say offensive things to you, incredibly offensive things. Sometimes people will compliment you in a way that it's offensive. That's not what we're talking about here. We're not talking about people not saying offensive things. That won't change. But what will change gradually over time is your response. Just ask the cookie monster. And the next time if you get offended, if you're really stuck, because you will get stuck, I get stuck sometimes, just think about Jesus. If anyone had the right to be offended in the history of this world, it was Jesus. And yet, for some reason, I don't know how he did it, but, well, I know how he did it. He had the Holy Spirit. For some reason, he just didn't go there. And Christ's follower, you serve him. (laughs) So uh, today, Lord Jesus, we pray, I'm done being defensive. I'm, I'm done. Maybe you want to say that with me if you, if you mean it. Maybe even if you don't mean it, because maybe that's where you start. Maybe just repeat it after me. Today, Lord Jesus. Today, Lord Jesus, I am done being defensive. With your help, I am done being defensive. 
And all God's people said, amen. Prayer team would love to pray for you about that or anything. They'll be right up here next week. I'm done making excuses. Um, I'm looking forward to sharing that with you. Please stand for God's blessing. If it's all right with you, I'll sit. Jesus loves you, and I love you. You can open your hands like this if you'd like. And now unto him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And all God's people said, amen. I love you. Turn around and say hi to someone. I will see you next weekend. All right. Thanks for watching. I want to let you know about three things that you can do. First, you can locate discussion questions for this message on our page so you can do some independent study or talk with a group to help you process. Then, follow us on Vimeo or iTunes so you don't miss a single message. Better yet, join us in person Saturdays at 5 p.m. or Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. Finally, if you are feeling this ministry and you want to help advance the mission of helping people become who God purposed them to be, you can click the link to give. Your generosity brings hope, healing and radical transformation to people all over the world. Thanks again and we'll see you next time.